It's like your only your friends support. and your only, yeah. yeah, the only world that you kind of know. Right, exactly. Oh, I'm actually surprised that they, because sometimes with cult, and that's why it's good to hear your perspective because people make assumptions. Usually in certain cults, like they really always try to keep you in. So I'm actually kind of surprised that they pushed her out, but maybe for him, because he was more head up, they, they had to keep him protected and just it's easier to get you guys, your mom out. Hey everybody, welcome to Lauren.Live, the Spirituality, Health, and Lifestyle Podcast. Today I have Kayla Marie with me from Kauai. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Aloha. Thanks for yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. So Kayla and I actually go way back. I mean, it's been what? I don't 10 know, years. At least 10 years, yeah. maybe more. Um, we used to kind of know each other from actually the, the company Kind, Kind Bars. We worked together and um, we just stayed in touch over the years. And Kayla has a really, really interesting story. And I knew from the beginning of my podcast, she was actually somebody that I knew I wanted to have on. I just think you have a really inspiring, interesting story that um, I think can be very, you know, um, motivational and touching and inspiring for a lot of people. Um, so Kayla grew up kind of born and raised uh, for her childhood in the Mennonite faith. And um, then she, there's, she, I'll let her tell her story, um, but she was able to actually get out of the faith and um, kind of break free and find a lot of freedoms. In other words, a lot of work involved and, and some pain and other things that she can share. But um, she's been able to form her own spiritual like beliefs and practice, which has been obviously very freeing and amazing. So we'll talk all about that. But I would love it if you could just share some of your background, your story, a little bit about the faith. Not everyone, many people who haven't obviously, who aren't Mennonite or weren't raised in the faith really yeah. don't know a lot about it. They you know, there's words that have been thrown around. I try to be respectful, but I, let's be honest. I mean, there's a lot of perceptions and you can tell it from your point of view, but some people would call it a cult. Others just call it a religion. Um, yeah. You know, there's good and bad things in all cults or religions or organized religion, whatever you want to call it. Um, but share about that because I think a lot of people don't know and it, it'd be really interesting to hear. And then obviously you can kind of share how you moved out of it and we can get into your current spirituality a little later too. Yeah, sure. Cool. Um, so I grew up old order Mennonite. Um, it's, there's a lot of different sects of Mennonite. There's, there's Mennonites where you wouldn't even know that they're Mennonite. You would go to the grocery store and just see a normal person. Um, we were not that we, everywhere we went, we were like, what are you? Are you a nun? Are you like, you know, we just really stuck out everywhere we went. We wore head coverings. Um, we made our own clothing. So we wore really long dresses and uh, I couldn't show my elbows and I couldn't show my knees. We had to wear black stockings, black shoes, no makeup, no jewelry, Could, couldn't cut our hair. Um, so very, very, very strict. Um, and I would say sort of the best way to describe that was they were sort of like literalists of the Bible. Um, meaning they didn't really see things as metaphor. So a lot of people would, would say like, you know, they would read the Bible and they would hear, um, they would read the part where you're supposed to be subservient to your husband or something. 
And they would really take that like literally, like you are the, you know, the husband's the head of the house. You just do whatever he says. Um, so yeah, I was, I was, uh, seven years old when we joined. Um, my family was not, my parents were not raised in the Mennonite church. Um, they were, I would say raised in very non-religious households and come to find out later with my dad, he was really, and I'll kind of get into that a little bit more later, but he was really trying to find healing the best way that he knew. And so what he would do is he would sort of go to the extreme churches. Like we started off before we joined the Mennonite church, we started off going to, you know, every church, the Methodists, the Baptists, the Pentecostal, um, just everything that we could find. And eventually he found the, the Mennonite and it was the most strict and the most, you know, intense. And so um, the ways that we sort of like my family dynamic was um, I was a musician. My father had me learn the piano really early and he loved music. He loved to sing. And I was just naturally really talented at that. And so when I was really young, I started playing the piano and then he found harp lessons. So when I was 12 or 11, I started playing the harp and we would go around to all these different churches and we would, you know, we were sort of this family that was like put on a, put on a pedestal. Everyone saw us and was, they were just like, wow, what a perfect family. And I have two brothers who were also really talented and we would be doing these, um, we would be doing these like performances together. And um, my dad was really charismatic and had this beautiful smile and everybody loved him. And my mom was the perfect, you know, subservient, quiet wife, like housewife. And we homeschooled for a long time. And then eventually when we got really involved in, in the Mennonite church, we went to the, the Mennonite school. Um, and there was like maybe 15 other kids that were there from grades kindergarten up until I think we went to 10th grade. Um, and so, yeah, we would go to, uh, church twice a week. Um, every day we had devotions. So I just at our house, like it was very, everything we did was very, uh, it was very all about the Bible. We had, we were sort of trained, like everything you do, everything you say always goes back to God, which I actually really love, you know, now I'm like, there's so many amazing values that were instilled in that, in that, um, experience. Um, but yeah, it was just this very like all consuming and it was, I, I also call it a cult. I tell people like I was raised in a cult. Because it was, I mean, we had to all dress the same. We were told where we shopped. We were told um, where, like how to speak, essentially. Um, we couldn't have a, like a silver bumper on our car. We had to paint it black. Interesting. We could, yeah, we What's couldn't listen to music. the significance of that? Because they said it was worldly. Anything that was worldly. Uh. So even shoes. Like I remember one time 
someone came to visit, like we were, they were always very open with outsiders coming to the church. And so some people came and they were wearing white shoes mm-hmm. and all of us were just like, Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. White shoes, you know, Wow. it was to that, it was to that level of, mm-hmm. of strictness and just like kind of, um, brainwashing and everything on the outside was just like world, you know, worldly evil. Mm-hmm. It's out to de- deceive you. Everything's out to get you. Um, you know, you have to just follow the ways of the church. And so really the way that we were all sort of, I would say trained, um, my brothers were sort of trained to be like the provider of, um, the house. And I was trained to be, to be a housewife, Mm -hmm. um, take care of children and like be really, really fast at like cleaning and making a bed. Like I remember going to, um, I would spend a lot of time at different Mennonites houses and, um, you know, we would do like the, the quilting table. Mm-hmm. Like we would all sit around this table and we would like do the quilts and then we would make food and we would talk about the kids and, and how grateful we are to God for this. And, and Lord willing, our husbands will, you know, get the job. I mean, obviously I wasn't saying that, but I was, I was listening to all mm-hmm. the moms talk about this and, um, yeah. So, uh, very, uh, very, very cut off. We were very, very cut off from the outside world. Um, and so eventually, um, when I was 14, um, I had been hiding a secret my whole life. And, um, that secret was the extent of what was happening abuse wise in my family. So my brothers experienced a lot of abuse physically from my dad, as well as I did. Um, my mom obviously was aware of that. No one else was really aware of that. Um, and, and then, um, he was really sexually abusive to me from ages. I, I believe it started when I was um, three years old, sort of on and off for, for uh, from three to 14. And at 14, it got to the point to where I knew if I didn't say something, it was, it was going to get, it was going to go beyond what I could handle. And so I did. And, um, I told my aunt, she was the first person that I told. And, uh, she eventually went to my grandfather and told him about it. My, my dad's dad. And, um, they didn't do anything right away. They, they didn't do anything like really fast or harsh right away. Um, I think they wanted to think about how to like fully, I'm not really exactly sure what was going on with them, but, um, were they in the faith? They were not. No, no, they weren't actually religious at all. I don't think any of them are are particularly religious. Um, so about, I would say maybe like a week or two later, I went to my cousin's house. Um, she was doing like a play and I was out jumping on the trampoline 
and my grandpa was there and he comes up to me and he goes, Kayla, I need to talk to you. And I was like, okay. And he said, do you, do you think that that's going to happen again? You know, do you think that it's going to keep happening? And I said, yeah, I, I really do. And he said, okay, we're going to take you out of your, out of your home tonight. And basically just like the clothes you have, that's, that's what you got. And so they took me out of the home. I went and stayed with my aunt who at the time she, this is my, my dad's sister. And at the time she was in her early or like mid twenties. She's quite quite a bit younger than my dad and, um, was just so courageous with me and like so loving. And she had this wonderful home near green Lake and, um, she had sort of like gone through some similar things and was going through like counseling. And so I think she really had it in her heart to, to really help me. So I stayed there, um, for the summer. My dad was arrested by his best friend. His best friend was the sheriff in town and showed up just crying and, you know, like, is this, really true like did this really happen and um and my dad never denied anything you know he was very like yeah um so that's initially how we I sort of separated from the church now at that time my dad went to jail and the Mennonite church was saying don't don't divorce they were telling my mom don't divorce your husband it's not you know, it's not in the Bible. You can't do that. You have to stay with him. You have to forgive him and just keep going. So, um, she was really grappling with so much at that time. We, she had three kids. We did not have a lot of money. Um, we were in debt. She hadn't worked for 15 years and she decided to go back to work and she went back to the hospital and um, worked in the labs there. But still it was just, you know, we, all of us were just like, what do we do? You know, like our whole family had sort of been torn apart. Um, and we were all, we were all, you know, my mom was like, having to grapple with the truth of what happened. My brothers were having to grapple with the truth of of what happened. It was such a shock to everybody. Um, so yeah, she was really struggling. We were all really struggling. And, um, I would say, gosh, maybe, Two months into it, she ended up having some other really good friends say, actually, you really need to leave him. And this is not something that changes. He has a sickness. He's ill. Like, you need to divorce him. And so she ended up listening to that and getting a divorce. And um, shortly after, she... uh, we were still in the Mennonite church. I ended up going back home, leaving my, my aunts for the summer, going back home. And I was originally going to go to school at the Mennonite school again. And, um, one night she 
took me into her bedroom. My mom and I are really, really close. We've always been like really good friends. And she took me into her bedroom and she said, I need you to read a page in my diary. Cause she couldn't, she, whatever was in there, she couldn't say it out loud to me. So, um, I opened her diary and I, and I read the page and it was explaining how, when the children were gone, this basically head guy in the church was coming over and was offering money to my mom to help out and was also really wanting more than that. Mm and was feeling her up and, and all this stuff. He was also married and had 10 children. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I went to, I grew up with his daughters. I went to school with them. And, uh, so I was livid. I was so mad, even though it was like at that age, I didn't even really understand what was happening. You know, it was like, I knew that it was wrong, um, but I didn't have the words for like predator or anything like that. It was just like, what? Like, how can this guy be doing this? Like, yeah. why? So I went to his daughters and, um, and I told them, I said, you know, your dad kissed my mom. And they were so mad at me. And they're like, you're a liar. Like, you've been out in the world. You're wearing pants. Like, mm-hmm. we can't trust you. And um, they went to their dad and asked him. And he said, yeah, I did. I did do that. Wow. Totally admitted to it. So after that, they ended up getting the whole church together. Um, and, you know, basically putting my mom and him in front of everyone and uh saying you know randy like don't do that again Mm. like you know you know that that's wrong we're not doing that here you need to be more responsible and then they told my mom she was a temptress Mm. and she was no longer welcome Uh, so they they turned it on the (laughs) woman oh yeah yeah so at that we were just like oh thank god like we're out of this cult like you know my mom was not super into it, but it's hard to leave. You know, mm-hmm. it's hard because they have, they create such a web. Mm-hmm. Everything is, you know, it's like, it's not only in the mind, but it's in your finances. It's right. in your life. It's, it's like your, your only your friends support. and your only, yeah. yeah. The only world that you kind of know. Right. Exactly. Wow. I'm actually surprised that they, because sometimes with cult, and that's why it's good to hear your perspective because people make assumptions. Usually in certain cults, like they really always try to keep you in. So I'm actually kind of surprised that they pushed her out. But maybe for him, because he was more head up, they, they had to keep him protected and just it's easier to get you guys, your mom out. Well, and we all kind of have a feeling, it's hard to know for sure, but we all kind of speculate that um, he was actually, his family was sent to start this community um, in Centralia, Washington, mm. uh, they were sent from Pennsylvania and a lot of different families were sent from different areas because there was nothing in Centralia, Washington. And when my family was starting, um, had joined the church, it was very, very new there. Mm. So we were a very small group of people. We were really the only ones that were like Washington natives. Mm. Other people came from BC, Pennsylvania, mostly from Pennsylvania, some from Oregon. 
So we actually speculate that something similar happened in Pennsylvania, maybe. Maybe. Of course, it's hard to know, but. Wow. And so um, were you guys living in your own house in your own like neighborhood or was there like a commute? Like, okay, because sometimes people live on like a compound or something. So you were living in a separate place. You just went, attended churches, but you were expected to like follow the guidelines in your own world and your own home, even though you weren't on like a compound or something. Exactly. Okay. We were a little bit more, our family was a little bit more removed. We lived in a tiny town, okay. probably 30 minutes away okay. from, from them. Um, and we also were slightly rebellious. We weren't supposed to play music and we played mm. music. Okay. You no, know? um, that was the main, that was really the only thing. <laughs> Got it. We played instruments. Wow. We still didn't the, the radio. How or, dare or, you? <laughs> yeah. yeah so, wow. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for sharing your story. That is Incredible. And so then you guys left and then you're just trying to figure out how to like survive without your dad. Right. Cause was he still in jail at the time? How to survive out in the real world? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this is where it gets just like, whew, this is sort of where it all starts for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I had the, the family unit, the family home, the sort of like childhood full of, um, uh, religious dogma and so much, uh, it just really screwed with my mind. You know, it was like all this religious dogma with stuff that I did really connect to. And I did feel like I believed, right. Um, that kind of must be like a, a mind F if you will kind yeah. of F's with you. Cause there's a, like, I was, oh you know, like my husband grew up Mormon and I mean, it's very different. It's just he has issues with it now, like the man-made aspects of it. But it's like he always tells me about all the beautiful, wonderful parts, the family-oriented parts, the support. Like you said, the you know, it all sounds great, like God and love and family and serving one another. Like those are all wonderful principles. But there's just it, it, it screws with your mind because then there's so many rules and expectations. And if you don't, you know, you're shamed or guilted. And it's just like, ooh, that part doesn't feel very like loving. And you know what I mean? So I could imagine how that would really mess with your head. Yeah, it really messes with your head just regardless whether there's abuse or not. But then if there's that added aspect of abuse while you're also this like poster child for the church, yeah, you know, um, so yeah, there were so many things I had to unlearn so many things and it just, it went so deep. And even to this day, I'm still finding things where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm still like feeling like I need to perform. I'm still, you know, just different, different little things that I still have to like be conscious of and aware of and that I'm finding. Um, and it, you know, that might be a lifetime, um, that I'm, that I'm doing that. Sure. Doing that. Maybe that's so, part of your, why you came here was to like break through some of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for, for sure. Wow. Okay. So like, I mean, I know it's hard to like compact it in a few minutes. Obviously you had a lot of like grief and probably pain and like, I'm sure there was even some guilt or just confusion and you had like the abuse aspect, the religious aspect, but I mean, like what were some ways that you were able to kind of heal over the years? I know that took a long time and you're probably, like you said, you're still going through things, but like what were things that you found joy in the real world and, you know, you kind of gave you hope and kept you propelling. And I know it's not all just like forward, like there's probably setbacks and, you know, it's the healing journey, but like what were some things that 
did help you get out of it just for people that might be going through similar things or, and it may not be as um, intense as yours, but even just simply leaving any organization or anything, like what, what were things that helped you kind of get to where you are now? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like that sort of, I, I, to really paint the picture of that, I have to sort of tell more of the story. Sure. Please do. Um, yeah. And, and so, uh, I would say that, let's see, where do I start? Growing up in the Mennonite church, I had this, um, the aspect of forgiveness instilled really deeply within me. And I thought it was as easy as choosing to forgive. Um, but it's not like forgiveness. I think it's similar to grief. It has these stages and all of these stages have to be really, truly felt and really, truly experienced. Um, so my first phase was anger, like really, really intense anger. I was angry at the world. I was angry at myself. I was angry at men. So angry. Um, and I expressed that through, like, I, I ended up starting this like metal band with my brothers and was like a drummer and I had a mohawk and I just went like swinging pendulum, right? Like I just went far into a a complete opposite of how I was raised. Um, and that was very cathartic for me. It was really important for me to do that. I also, uh, went through a, a, a phase in my life where I completely denied all things spiritual. Mm-hmm. It was actually a really long period of time. And, um, you know, I would just laugh at like any, anything that had to do with spirituality. I just thought that it was completely ridiculous. And if anyone knew anything about people that were spiritual, you know, they would turn the other way. Like, so, um, I was in that for a really long time and I, I, uh, at 16 years old, I was kicked out of my house. Um, and my, my mom had been, had gotten remarried and my stepdad and I did not get along. Um, he didn't like the music that I listened to. He wanted me to wear like boys clothing and, um, there was just a lot of like a lot of head butting. And he also was very religious. So there was like this certain aspect where I was like, there's no way that another man's going to tell me what I I can do, you know? And um, so one day I got home from school and he had gone through everything in my room and thrown away things and read my diary. And I was just like, no way. Like, you can't do that. You know, I hardly even know you. Like, you definitely can't do that. And he said, well, if you don't want to follow the rules in my house, like you can just leave. So I packed up a duffel, a duffel bag and I, and I left and, uh, I was then a high school dropout at that, at that point. Um, eventually I, I was staying with some family in, in Bellevue and they really encouraged me. They were like, Kayla, you're really smart. Like you you need to go to some sort of school. And, um, I, I sort of like gave in. I wasn't really interested in it. I was always told I was never going to go to school because as women, you don't go to college. 
Um, and I was also, I was never seen as, as intelligent in when I was growing up, you know? So it was very much this, like, um, you're beautiful and you're talented and that's what you do. And you're going to be a great mom someday. And, um, so I, I gave in and I got into this program called CPS, which is career, um, educational options. Is that right? C career C CEO. Mm. Um, and that was basically trying to figure out like, what do I want to do with my life? Um, and during that, uh, that program, um, I met my first love and, um, I met him on campus and he completely, completely shifted everything for me. That was sort of this why in the road where it was like what I was feeling in life. I was so numb. I was so numb and everything was totally gray. You know, I could be happy. Like I could put on a smile. I could sort of function. Um, but I, yeah, everything was just so numb and so gray. And I met him and it was just this really, really, um, beautiful, like spiritual connection. Mm. And he introduced me to the Tao Te Ching and we would sit and he would read me the Tao Te Ching and it just opened my eyes to everything. Mm. You know, I could feel things again. I could see color again. I was excited about life. And, um, one night he called and he said, um, you know, Kayla, you're, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my entire life. And I love you so much. And my parents are his, his dad is a, um, a lawyer, pretty like big, big time lawyer in Bellevue. And, and he said, my parents are going to buy us a home and a car in Olympia. So you can be close to your family. We can start our lives. He had just gotten a record label. He was a really amazing musician. He'd gotten a record label in uh, New York. And um, so we were like stoked. And then I didn't hear from him for two weeks. I couldn't get a hold of him. I called and called and called. Couldn't get a hold of him. And then it was the last day of that quarter. I got back to my great aunt's house and I was supposed to move out that day to go stay with my grandma. And um, she met me at the door and she's like, Kayla, you need to sit down like okay so I sat down and she said I got a phone call from Michael's parents and Michael died he just he they don't know why he fell asleep and he didn't wake up like he had sleep apnea and so that sent me into this very intense deep kind of spiral but it wasn't it was in a way I had to hit this ground bottom um and and then all I wanted was to find the truth you know it was it was it it was just like maybe in a way of like honoring honoring that um that connection and that like the way that he sort of um facilitated healing in my life And so I just studied and I studied and I studied everything I could get my hands on. I studied it. And, um, throughout the years, uh, I couldn't hold down a job. I was so dysfunctional. 
um, I didn't know how to handle what was really deep within me. I went through seven different therapists in a summer. And one of the therapists, I'll never forget it. She sat me down and I think it was the second time I ever saw her. She sat me down and, and I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm actually like, I'm really good. Like I'm, I'm really good. I'm doing good. And she's like, uh-huh. She goes, yep. Well, you might think that right now, but by the time you get in your twenties, you're going to realize it's all going to catch up to you and you're going to start feeling what's, you know, the gravity of what happened to you in your life. Cause I just wasn't feeling it. I wasn't, I could talk about it and I would kind of have this like, you know, like nervousness and this, this like guilty laughter, like, ha yeah, it's happened in my life. It's funny or weird. I don't know. And uh, I just couldn't face it, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I just kept going on within my day and in my life. And, um, I ended up getting a job at like a, a bakery. I moved in with my mom and made peace with my, my stepdad just to be kind of close to them again. And, um, got a job at a bakery and then I met my now ex-husband and it was basically like within a week of meeting he invited me to live with him gave me the keys to his apartment you know it was all kind of a done deal and then I found out he had a son and when I went over to his house to meet his son this little boy he's half Laotian he comes out, he's this huge brown eyes. He comes out of the closet and looks up at me and puts out his hand with the cutest smile and says, nice to meet you. And I was just in love. I was just like, oh my gosh, this child, like he's so amazing. And, and um, yeah, I just completely fell for that. And uh you know, I was like in love again and all this stuff. And, and he said all the right things and, and, uh, really took me in. And he had the same, like, um, hatred towards my father, which I always really wanted to find in people, you know, like, yeah, I hate my dad with me. Like that shows that you're a good person or something. And, um, we, we ended up getting married and, uh, and then after we got married, I started to realize, oh, he has a, he, I think he has an alcohol problem. And, um, the alcohol problem started to get really, really bad. And then eventually it was like, there were some other, there were some other issues too. And, uh, a lot of, a lot of other sexual issues and some things that were like getting to be similar flavors to what I experienced as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it didn't really quite register at the time when I was going through it, you know, I was in it. Um, and I was so loyal. I was so like in it for the long run. And then, um, eventually he ended up becoming abusive and, um, yeah, like one night. I'm not going to go into the details, but he, he ended up getting abusive. And I just said, I'm not, 
yeah, I, I said to myself, like, I'm not actually going to be this woman. Yeah. And so, um, somewhere within myself, like I, I found a way to, to leave that at this point, I was 22 years old. And at this point, all of the emotions and all of the things that I had not been able to face within myself had become so, uh, basically had become psychosomatic symptoms in my body. I was starting to get really ill, sick all the time. I had intense body fatigue. Um, sometimes I couldn't get out of bed for, you know, several days. Um, and that's, that's when the sort of like the work stuff started to get really, uh, complicated. Wow. Yeah. It's almost like uh, these people came into your life for a reason. I'm sure you must believe that too, but like, because I know we have some similarities in our spiritual beliefs, but it's like they were there to help you heal, but also like make you look at the, the stuff. You almost had to go through that repeat, right? Of the abuse for you to be like, whoa, you know, look at this, look at this part of the pain that you're holding on. And that's really what it, now my understanding is, you know, I'm not a victim. And if I was to stay in victimhood, Mm. then I would keep retelling the story through the relationships that I would find and the experiences that I would have. It took me really understanding how to face myself and how to take responsibility for my own life, Mm -hmm. my own feelings and everything I've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. Um, That really led me to that path of freedom. And also like what you attract, right? Because I I think, you know, a lot of people that have been abused will find themselves in abusive relationships you know, it's interesting what you attract in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, even when I, I, I knew you 10 years ago, um, it, it, there was some stuff happening then sure. too. Actually, yeah. the, the last time you and I did an event together, um, I ended up taking this, these two people out um, who were like friends of a friend. I took them to a concert. And was drugged that night mm. and, and drugged and raped that night. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's just a lot, you know, it's just, there was just repeat after repeat and I couldn't catch my breath. I couldn't find my way. You know, it was you were just like, like thrown out in the real world and you were trying to navigate and there was just so much uh, to coming at you and yeah. Right. Right. And it's also, you know, I didn't know how to even, relate with people it was so hard for me because I was taught my whole life like the outside world is like evil and and the outside world like they were outsiders Mm -hmm. and so but I was also taught to be really loving so I had this sort of like you probably were never uh, told like well you were never in that situation if someone gives you like don't let someone just randomly give you a drink at a concert or like you probably were never guided in that way yeah not at all yeah not at so anyway, so that was really, that was the last straw for me. That was when I called out to the universe, like, please, please, please help me. I don't know if there's a God. I don't know what is there. I haven't experienced it myself. Like, please help me. So for um, the next several years, I was 
trying a lot of different um, spiritual techniques. I was seeing spiritual healers. I was um, seeing energy, energy healers. I was seeing, um, you know, gosh, I was doing meditations. I was doing any, anything, anything that I could find. I was reading. I was, and then eventually I got led to psychedelics Hmm. and, um, I, I did mushrooms for the first time and that really actually backtrack. That's not where it started. I smoked DMT. Hmm. (laughs) That was what changed everything for me. Hmm. Um, my experience with that was deeply, deeply profound. It was the first psychedelic I ever did. It's arguably one of the most intense ones you can ever do. Um, I flew through this portal and was shot out to the other end into this world of different rooms with this guide that was showing me all these different things. And then eventually I was led to this riverside and I was sitting at this river and I was very consciously aware of how much I did not like myself, how much I, how much self-hatred that I had. And I look across and I see this beautiful woman walking towards me with long brown hair and this white dress. And I'm like, wow, oh, to be her someday, you know? And I realize she gets closer. I realize it's me. Mm. And it was like my higher self. Mm-hmm. And she sat on her knees across from me and she took my shoulders and she said, Kayla, don't worry about anything ever. Let me show you why. And then she touched her forehead to my forehead mm-hmm. and she said, this is where you're going. And it was the most beautiful peaceful, heavenly space imaginable. Wow. And I came out of that experience saying, okay, everybody, like, sorry, there is a God. Um, There is a spiritual realm. I don't know what it is exactly. I don't know the truth, but I know for sure that it exists. Mm. Um, And after that experience, the friend who had shared that with me started telling me about ayahuasca. Mm. So for years I was studying ayahuasca. Um, I was really scared of it. I was terrified. I thought on many occasions, there's absolutely no way that this isn't just completely evil because Mm. like the snake stuff Mm. and the, I was like, that's obviously like the devil, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. like it's, that's so scary. Um, but people would come up to me randomly. Like I remember I was on the ferry once and this couple came up to me and they're like, have, this is a weird question, but have you ever done ayahuasca before? Hmm. And this was 10 years ago. This is, it wasn't popular really. Mm -hmm. Like, no, I've never done it. And then I had like a random person, you know, message me on Facebook. Have you ever done it? No. And then, um, one summer I was working with this girl I became really close to and she had just gotten back from Peru mm-hmm. and was telling me all about ayahuasca. And I was like, okay, hmm, interesting. Maybe, maybe it is something that I want to do. 
but still it was, I was really resistant. It was probably about five years of me like holding this and wondering if it was something that I wanted to do. And, and I was just spiraling, you know, it was like, I didn't, I wasn't getting the healing that I needed. I wasn't finding the answers. I would have some moments of growth. Um, I would find little bits of confidence. I would find like my heart opening in certain ways, but um, I was still really, really, really miserable. And um, I ended up finding out that I had seven tumors growing on my thyroid. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And they're all, they were all benign. They're adenoma. So um, they can turn cancerous if they harden and they grow. So they wanted to take my thyroid out. And I just said, you know, no, I don't want to be on medication the rest of my life. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to heal this. And, um, yeah, eventually I decided it was time for me to try ayahuasca. And, um, I went, I, I ended up traveling to the place that I went to, um, to try it first with this pretty well-known shaman. Um, and my experience with him was I walked away going, eh, okay. It's kind of like mushrooms, whatever not that big of a deal. I didn't feel this great healing from it at all. I also didn't feel particularly safe in the space that he held, which is very, very, very important. Um, so yeah, I, one thing I did walk away from that ceremony with though, was I had felt as though the medicine had come to me and she said, you've sat with me thousands of times and I want you to go in the jungle alone and sit with me, just the two of us. And I was like, okay, Kayla, like you're some, like, you think you're such a cool, you're just some other like white girl thinking she had some spiritual, you know, that she's special and that she can go and do this alone. Um, so I was talking to some people about it. My really good friends that, that worked at this, um, this prayer camp. And I said, do you, what do you think about that? Like, am I just being really silly or do you think that's something I could do? And he said, yeah, you definitely could. Hmm. And so, um, at the time they lived at this, this like Buddhist retreat center and there was a, a temple there. And, um, I, one night I set up a little nest in this temple and I created this little altar space and I set some intentions and did some prayers and I drank one cup of ayahuasca and that night changed my life forever. Wow. It was the, I remember so many moments where I was sitting up going, how is it even possible to have this amount of healing in one night? Mm. How is it even? I knew that it was happening because mm -hmm. it was so visceral. It was so real. It was so clear. Mm. Um, I saw so many moments of my life that I've actually already lived. Mm. Like I saw my partner now. Wow. I saw two, two of my children. I saw, um, living 
very similar to how I live now, like really simply connected to nature in Hawaii, um, really letting go. It was like I was shown all these different things of like letting go of this need for society's approval um, and really just getting back to God. And uh, that night, I mean, I was held in the arms of God. Wow. Literally like this. And I remember just being there and saying, is this ayahuasca thing okay? Like, am I, is this okay? And ayahuasca was right there. And he's like, absolutely. Like, we're together in this. Like, this is, there's no separation here. And so then I'd say, okay, okay. And then, and then she would go, so can we heal you a little bit more? Okay. And then I would lay down, you know, wow. and I, I would see these guides over me and doing this work. And yeah, that was a huge pivot in the road for me. And um, after that, I went back to Seattle where I was living and everything felt different. You know, it was like, I didn't even know how to live in my own house. Mm. Like my house felt different. It didn't feel like mine. Mm. Um, my relationship felt different. I felt really alone. Mm. Like it just, um, I just experienced something that no one else could really understand, you know? And it's so hard to explain. Um, and but I, I just really dedicated myself to it. And I started to ask around, like, who can I study with? Who can I sit with? And I just, I did it as much as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. And I never had depression ever again. Mm-hmm. All of these body issues started to go away. All of these sicknesses started to go away. My head cleared up. Um, my tumors shrank from seven to three. Um, on their own, you didn't go in on there. That's incredible. Yeah. And, um, so many things started to shift in my life. I really started to grapple with, um, what had happened in my childhood, what had taken and, and all of the things that that sort of like did bring in to my life, you know? that was a really big part of the forgiveness was, was like, man, you know, my dad did all this stuff to me and it, it's his fault that then it happened again in my marriage. And then it happened again after that. And, um, I really blame so much on him and sitting with this specific medicine. It was like, I was filled with so much compassion like I got to feel the anger. I got to feel the, the disgust. I, I, I purged out the disgust, mm. you know? Um, I saw the ways in which those types of things are happening in the world to so many people. And then I saw the, the things I could do to be of service, to keep that from happening or to heal people, you know, to help heal people who've gone through that. Um, and then also number one was forgiving myself. Um, 
So fast forward a couple years into my sort of ayahuasca journey. Um, I had a very clear message that said, you need to go find your dad and you need to um, really express to him your anger because my anger was being expressed in the relationships that I had towards men, which was misdirected. Um, so I, I went to my dad's, I found him and recorded with, um, one of those like 360 cameras recorded the whole conversation. I sat down and I said, this isn't for you. This is for me. And this is how I yelled and I screamed and I pounded on the, on the table. And I just told him that I hated him. I said everything. Mm -hmm. And then I said, why? I asked him the questions. Why did you do it? What happened? I made him answer everything. And he sat there and he shook violently. And he answered every question that I had completely honestly. And said, and, you know, was just profusely apologizing, apologizing. And, um, I left and I said, you know, I'm never, probably never going to see you again. I just, I, I needed this for my healing. Um, so I left and that was that. And a um, couple years later, I'm still doing the work. I'm still, I'm still, you know, finding all of this like healing, all this uh, freedom within myself and like love for myself. And um, eventually Father's Day comes around. And, um, I had this like feeling in my heart, like, you know, I'm just going to call him. I'm just going to call him. And, uh, and I called him and he was so happy. He was so, so, so happy. And, um, a really important aspect to this story actually is that my dad has, was diagnosed with three different mental illnesses. He was bipolar, schizophrenic and split personality. And then by the time that I was really ready to start maybe having a relationship with him, he was also um, dealing with MS. So that was taking away his like motor skills and um, his, his brain function. Um, so he was sort of there and sort of not, you know. Um, but for the first time in my life, I didn't feel unsafe with him. And I had this kind of weird, strange conversation with him on Father's Day. And then I bawled my eyes out, you know, so hard afterwards. And then I decided I'm, I'm going to just keep doing it until I stop crying. And, um, and then I decided I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm actually going to see him. So I went and I, I drove, I was living in Montana at the time. And I drove to his house in Washington um, to see him for his birthday. And I knew that I had reached the level of healing, um, a pretty miraculous level of healing when I saw him and I hugged him and all I felt was love in my heart. Wow. Like I felt so much love. I didn't feel, I didn't feel afraid. I didn't feel unsafe at all. And I just 
wanted him to know, like, I forgive you, you know, maybe you don't want you in my life really, but, but I forgive you. And wow, that was so freeing. And I felt so like, I just achieved like so much um, by doing that. And um, I would say maybe timeline is weird, but like six months later, a year ish within the year, I saw him again and um, he said, you know, I'm ready to share my story with you now. Mm. And um, I ended up sitting down with him and he was filing a, uh, like a a lawsuit Mm. against Boy Scouts of America. And he told me from the ages of seven to 14, he was actually sex trafficked. Oh, wow. Yep. So he and I, I I ended up hearing the entire story of that. And like his parents, when he was growing up, when really, really young, were super, super abusive towards each other, Mm. towards him. Like it was just such a toxic, not safe environment, you know? And he my dad is a very like sensitive artistic type. He's not the like rough and tough. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go play sports guy. Like he's very much feels a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it was almost like what he knew from a young age. He then brought into his, to you and you know, gosh. That's yeah. So I was sitting there with my dad, um, holding his hands And he was just bawling. We're sitting in the park. I will never forget it. He's sitting on this log and I was recording it. um, Him telling his story. And I was holding his hands, looking into his eyes, telling him everything that people told me when I had started my healing journey. And, you know, he just was, looking at me saying, I, I'm so ashamed and I feel so, so, you know, um, the the pain in his eyes, you know, like what he was experiencing in that moment was just so much, like he was feeling all the things that he didn't allow himself to feel before. And he looked at me and he said, he did this to me and then I did it to my own daughter. Like I didn't know how to find healing, you know? So yeah, that was like a whole level of kind of this like full circle. Who would have ever thought that you would have helped him heal when you were the one that, yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh no. Incredible. So, yeah, it was just, uh, I feel like I've just experienced so many miracles, you know, and it would take me four hours at least to really tell you yeah, like everything, everything yeah. that what has is, what is Just in the essence of time though, what is your relationship with your dad now and how is he doing? My dad, um, unfortunately, because he's so mentally um, not capable, mm. um, he's homeless. He's 
He's in Seattle. Um, he was in the hospital for a couple of weeks and he was calling me every single day. Yeah. Um, so when he has a phone and he is able to find my number, then he'll, he he'll call me. To you. Yeah. Um, he's the happiest guy Aww. I've ever met. He's out there on the streets. Like the last time I saw him, he was at the homeless shelter in Olympia and I showed up, of course, he had no idea I was going to be there. And he was helping this guy make packed lunches mm. and AA book on the, the picnic table. And he was helping him to try to get over alcohol. Aww. And he said, if you feed people and you are, are of service, then it'll give you the confidence to stop drinking. Oh, help other people. Yeah. Yeah. So... Wow. That's what he does. Oh, well, I'm glad that, you know, you've had, have some relationship with him when, when you can and when he can and yeah, incredible. I think I remember you posted or you shared with me, I think you posted, didn't you, um, a video of him playing a harmonica? Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> but now that I've yeah. heard the story and, you know, the history of the music, like, I just think that's so, that was a cool yeah. moment for you to capture. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He's so, like, I'll call him now and I'll say, dad, will you sing me a song? He goes, yeah. And he'll just sing, just Aww. like at the drop of the hat. Yeah. Like he'll just sing a song that he that he wrote or made up. Oh so, gosh. Wow. yeah, really, truly, like just miraculous. But yeah, oh my gosh, we've all experienced together. Well, I know there, like you said, it could take forever because you just there's so it much. Could, but know. Yeah. you know, you told us an amazing your story and healing, and I know you're still. It's a lifelong thing. It's but you know, sure. I didn't know all of that. I knew some of it. Um, but even like the tumor thing is interesting. Like, I wonder if that symbolized something in your throat chakra, like you were holding back for so long and then were you able, are they gone or? No, they're still there. I still have three. Interesting. They're, like it's, it's, it's going away, but still, you know, I still have like throat things that come up. So you kind of watch it, but it's interesting that you've been able to maintain it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is actually such a gift to be able to share my story. I think that that's even really healing mm -hmm. because years ago, just starting to share it, I would, I would sweat. And I'd be so nervous, yeah. you know, just sharing it to some one person in the room. Yeah. So to be able to many people is really oh, such yeah. a gift and just for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank so, you for sharing. Thank you. My goodness. It's a lot. And it, you know, it's just like so humbling to hear how far you've come and so proud of you and Oh gosh, it's hard to like follow up on something just cause it's just, there's so much, but I, yeah. I don't know. I just think you're such a beautiful soul. And from what I've known, you've always just been positive and happy. And I know when we knew each other, you were still going through a lot. But seeing where you've come now and you're in Kauai, you have a son and a lovely partner and you're living in an amazing yurt in Kauai. Like what a cool yeah. life. But um, <laughs> yeah. just, you know, your openness and, and your spirituality, that's one thing. Like I know we're coming up on an hour here, but I think just... I guess in closing, like, you know, where are you now with your spirituality? Like what are, like it's possible for you to have a relationship with God. And I know it looks a lot different um, than, you know, how you were raised. It's less structured, which mm -hmm. so much freedom in that. Right. But I mean, I guess, you know, it'll be interesting. Like what title we come up with for this um episode because you know what I'm hearing at the end of it is forgiveness and I think you know and freedom really freedom and forgiveness and I just think 
those are huge pillars in the spiritual, no matter if it's structured or non-structured. I think, you know, I believe that forgiveness is one of the highest vibrational forms of love and growth and um, ah, trust to sure. be able to forgive each other. That is huge. I also think it is something that is a little bit misunderstood too. Like I was saying, there's these different stages to it. And I, I, I feel like if there's one thing that I would want to really, um, well, there isn't just one thing. There's many, many things I would want to scream at the top of the roof for everyone to hear, but, um, to really just trust the process in the forgiveness and, and also, um, forgiveness doesn't just mean like, okay, now I'm loving towards you and, and, and I just choose to forgive. It, it really is a, a journey. Yeah. Forgiveness is a journey and you have to feel all of the things and allow yeah. all of the things to take place. Um, well, but re- acceptance I feel like is a part so of it. much of, so much of the healing for me comes from self-responsibility and I'm still really involved, um, in the ayahuasca community. Mm-hmm. I actually, the reason why I moved to Hawaii was to, um, take a, um, an apprenticeship with a, a medicine, a, a maestra. Mm-hmm and learn, learn from her and, and do co-facilitation and and all of that. So really, really involved and really passionate about it. Um, and I'm still like a baby. I'm still learning and I have a lot to learn. Um, but right now I would say it's shifted, you know, that's, it's like, there's the healing path and, and then there's the practice. So I, I appreciate and I love all the freedom that I, I gave myself in the spiritual world in order to find my truth and to solidify my, my ego in a healthy way and to find the healing. Um, and now I'm actually really enjoying structure Mm -hmm. and I'm really enjoying, you could even say religion. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm finding a lot of peace there. So my journey has shifted to not so much focused on healing, but focused on practice. Mm. Um, so the practice is what keeps me peaceful and what keeps me content mm. and focused on what's important in my life and really keeps me grounded um, in my body. Like all of those things that are so important, especially if you've ever experienced trauma, you know, trauma is such a like a somatic experience. So it's really takes you like practicing, um, practicing things like yoga or, um, meditation and and dance Dance is one of my favorite things to, to do. So, um, yeah. And of course tea, you know, that I, Mm -hmm. I'm all about tea. That's been a really transformative plant for me. So, um, yeah, just getting back to nature. You know, it's all there. It's all there for us. There's so much healing in nature, whether it is through substance or being in nature, grounding literally feet on the ground. Like there's so much healing available for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we can just slow down and listen mm-hmm. and turn off the phone, stop you know, becoming, like I always say, like you want to stop living from the outside in like a black hole and you want to become a star and live from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like just connecting to nature in whatever way you can, yeah. 
Um, for me, it's through working with plants and I really believe in this incredible, um, intelligence, divine intelligence within plants, Mm -hmm. but it could also just be like going on long hikes. And wherever you feel, everyone's different, right? Yeah. 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 Totally. Or gardening or, Mm -hmm. in the moment, appreciating it, touching it, whatever feels right for you, taking something. Yeah. Everyone's different. Mm-hmm. yeah but yeah just really listening getting in tune with yourself um and asking like what can I give what are my what are my gifts um because I really do believe that all of us do have those gifts and I feel like my story is a part of that for me you know it's like everything that I've experienced is a gift everything I'm so grateful for all of it because it's my medicine you know yeah, you so, have to go through every step to get to where you are right now and makes you who you are. And mm-hmm. wow, it's incredible. <laughs> well, I'm really grateful for you and I'm grateful for um, you sharing your story. Yeah, thank you a lot. so much. And I know you've done a lot of work and it's, you know, it takes courage to tell, tell it and vulnerability yeah. with your family. And I wish, you know, your father and everybody so much love and their own healing and you and your continued journey. Yeah. Yeah. So much, Lauren. Yeah. I really appreciate you. So thank you so much. This has been incredible. It's very eye opening and a just a reminder of, um, how we can all just have so much compassion, forgiveness and love for ourselves and then for others too. That's a lifelong practice. So yeah. 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 Keep, you got to keep keeping on. <laughs> yeah, so, totally. Yeah. Do you, Amazing. do you want to share, do you care to share like any social media or anything where people might be able to follow your journey or do? You... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My social media is songbird, um, underscore mm-hmm. living mm-hmm. songbird living on Instagram. Right? I think healing. So. Oh, healing. I changed it. Songbird underscore healing. Okay. We'll put it in the show notes too, yeah. but yeah. Sounds- Instagram. Yeah. Very fun. Ah, well, thank you, Kayla. Thank you so much. Aloha, everybody. Aloha. Thank you for listening, everyone. You can find me on my Instagram at Real Lauren Live and my website, Lauren.live. I hope you enjoyed today. I know that it was very inspiring and touching for me. So take care, everybody. 